It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy and we have our first episode during the social distancing period, I want to call it. I'm not sure I'm fond of all the different terminologies, so I'm going with that one. William Davis, welcome along. Good evening, Rob. Good evening, everybody. We have kept it for a wee while, Alan, doing a little bit of work in the background. Obviously, wanted to get to grips with how things are on the on the Connex side of things and on the uh, World Rugby side of things, going all the way up to that level. But uh, welcome along, first of all, Alan. Thanks, Rob. Hope you keep them well and safe. Yeah, well, it'll be a busy look. time for you and your your shop. Yes, plowing away, plowing away. Lots of uh, lots of work to be done here, and uh, we're fortunate enough to be in the line of industry that's still open. But there's a lot of work to it, and uh, it's been a it's been an interesting few weeks. I'd say that, William. How's it been for you? Uh, well, not not quite as interesting, probably. Uh, there mm-hmm. is going on in my line of work. Uh, there's obviously very little going on in media because uh, we've got no sport. Sport has stopped just about everywhere. Uh, I was reduced this afternoon to watching horse racing in Hong Kong. I wasn't betting on it. I was just watching it because it was actually, it involved sport. My auntie is playing crossword games against uh, my brother, Alan, and I'm actually following the scores, constantly asking for updates. I think it's part of a coping mechanism. I don't know. Yeah, I did create a quiz. I've got an online quiz going with my family and using Google Forms to send them out and do quizzes. And, and you know, so we're anything for a bit of competition. Can, can <laughs> you log be, me in so I can... partake in the quiz this week rather than create can, the quiz. Yeah, can I follow the score lines? Just just because I want to. <laughs> William, 10 euro, Alan, come second. What are you, are you on? <laughs> yeah, well, the thing about it is, of course, it's, since we have spoken to you, the craggy crew did, in fact, win the Connacht Clan table quiz and boy, a long, long time ago. Was, how, how many tables turned up, lads? I missed that. Are we allowed oh, to there, that? Was, there was, there was These two. 30 or 40, I think it was for over 40 tables. If wow. I, remember. I can't remember exactly. There was a lot the of people. Par, lot the of people. Par, I, I don't want to uh, cast dispersions on any of the crew members, but uh, yeah, let's actually say that collectively you're all brilliant at that, but I have a feeling one or two might have had an edge there. I'm not mentioning names. One or two people do have experience in table quizzes. That's all I'm saying. Dave. Uh, yes, fair, fair play. I, I will point out that if Dave answered one question in a very peculiar way, we wouldn't have actually had to go to the tie break, but we then had the excitement of the tie break round. And, and, uh, and, and to top it off, the winning prize. Right. <laughs> the winning prize was a tour of the sports ground. <laughs> 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 and, and on top of that, <laughs> the chance to sit in on a on a press conference. So <laughs> you're I, you're you're joking that bit? Are no, you? no, that's, oh that, was the, that was the that was a big Oh lord! Wow. We decided to swap at second place. We let them guys have. I think they might appreciate it a bit more than us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I mean, in, in that scenario, you could just make me go to a press conference for the first time in a while. That might be something fresh and novel. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was good fun. It was good crack. It was good. Raised a lot of money for uh, Special Olympics. But boy, does it just seem from a different age. Oh, yeah. A long time ago. Long time ago. When was that? Early March? Well, obviously. Clearly. 11th of of March, I think. Something like that. One of the last pub nights. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A shout out to our loyal sponsors, William, who have uh, backed us all the way on this podcast. And we'll be back in all the way once we get back on track in the uh, world of socialising and getting out to one of the best venues for going up to the sports ground. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's it's very difficult for a lot of businesses. Um, mm-hmm. It's a difficult time. It's a very complex time. It's it's a shock to everybody's system. 
we've all had to get used to a lot of different things very quickly. Um, and I suppose it shows our adaptability as a species that generally we've, you know, particularly here, I think people have been asked to do some very complex things and they've done them. Mm. Uh, but it's very important that at some stage that hopefully when, when we have control of this or we're in a position to deal with it, that we can get back to normality of going to the sports ground to watch a rugby match or Pierce Stadium to watch a GAA game or wherever you go. Yeah. Um, well, one, of a, things, one, one of the things I'll be asking Murtys to do, because it was Murty Rabbits where we, we had the quiz, is is find the stout that I found as a gluten-free stout. And I had my first pint of stout in about 33 years since I've gone back on my gluten-free diet. And it was amazing to have a pint of stout the other day. And I'm going, well, I'll be asking while you saying to him, I'm going, right, I need you to buy this. I will drink plenty of gluten-free stout. Usually when we're talking about bottle. when we're talking about stats lasting about 33 years, it's like Connick trying to win a Munster or something. But this time it's about stout. It's a, it's a sad indictment of where we are. That's sad indictment. I'm sorry to say. This week's podcast has Andy Friend on it. William, big interview coming up before we get to it. We've a bit of nattering to do. But uh, yeah, he's very, very uh, accommodating with his time. Yeah, he certainly was. We thank him for that. We uh, we played it out on uh, Galway Bay on a couple of Monday nights because their sports show is still running over the line. They're trying to find different things to talk about uh, around sport mm-hmm. and talking to people. It's all interview based at the moment. But uh, some great yeah, this- stuff there. You're really getting the chance to get to know people. Just like this interview, you're just getting the chance to relax and and properly get to know someone's uh, insight into their trade. Absolutely. And it's you're not talking about some specifics in when we're talking to Andy, you know, potential law changes, the situation in Australia. But it's just to get an idea of how he's stepping through this uh, crisis, which is what it is. And I suppose the more you the more you talk to people about how they're coping with it, you might well be able to bring things of that into what you're doing yourself. Interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, well, that's to come up, folks. William, just for now, though, trying to get to grips with some news. We were kind of just picking out a few bits that are kind of developing uh, in terms of the world rugby, but maybe for starters, from a conic perspective, because, you know, to start with, I think a lot of people would have spotted Tom McCartney has returned home. There are a few things like that happening in the background, and, and all the while we're trying to sign players for whatever next season's going to look like. Yeah, I think Tom uh, had to get back to New Zealand very quickly because they they went into a very severe lockdown and anybody coming into the country had to, would have been in quarantine, but then they just weren't letting anybody in. So he's had to go back. Look, he could still come back depending on how the rest of this very elongated season works out. Uh, there's also discussion more in South Africa, I think, that Junior Pocomela was of interest to Connacht, a uh, player we've seen at the sports ground, but... He's also staying with the Cheetahs. Uh, they're losing a lot of players, it would seem, uh, from what I'm hearing. But they've signed uh, Francois Stein from Montpellier. Mm. That's, a, that's a big signing for them. Obviously, um, we were looking forward to seeing him in the Champions Cup earlier in the season. But he was recovering from surgery on his jaw, which I think mm. got knocked about in, in the World Cup final. So we didn't get a chance to see him, but he's going back to South Africa. 
so that's a little bit of news on 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 the signings front. Uh, I yeah, sub- before before we go away from that, just just so the reason we were interested in Jasper Fees, and we talked you 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 know in the interview we're going to hear um, Andy talking about meters per carry. Our forwards, our back row, actually all, amongst all our forwards, only one well, only one player averages more than three meters per carry. Now Andy will talk about you know how that can be and whatever. But we're talking about over the season so far in, in the Pro 14, only one player has been over three metres per carry. And that's Colby Fienga. <laughs> and we know that there's a fair chance he's not going to be around because he's heading Ooh. off to France. And Jasper Vies carries for over three metres per carry. That's why we were yeah. interested. Yeah, that's a, that's a disappointment. Just quickly, William, people will have read a little bit about some of the toing and throwing of World Rugby. I suppose uh, a vacuum can lead to all sorts of chat. But uh, a world calendar has been on the agenda for a lot of people for a while. It won't necessarily suit ourselves or all all people in world rugby. And we can maybe get into that at another time. But uh, just at the top table, you do see a little bit of jostling, jostling for position. That's probably worth keeping an eye on if you have an interest in the politics around the background. Yeah, I think you're right about vacuum. And I think finances is what's concentrating it's not concentrating all sports organizations. They're all going to have to work very hard in this situation to, you know, keep their organizations and their business models running. Uh, Bill Beaumont is being challenged by uh, Augustin Pichet, who's uh, a very bright uh, and very young man by the terms of the people that run World Rugby. He has a lot of ideas. I don't think he'll win that vote, but I think it's he's marking the card. Interestingly, the big thing he's pushing for is the world season. He wants rugby to be played from the 1st of February to the 30th of November around the world. And December and January would be the off months. We could talk about that for the rest of the evening. I, I think it's... I think it's been looked at, and I think there will be tweaks to the calendar, but I think it's something that would be a difficult sell here. Uh, and, yeah, and in and in the UK, which were and even France, where where this time that time of year is so important to to the to the rugby season. That's that's when rugby traditionally exists for people in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, but it's 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 like it's in situations like this that change might come, and I mm. think sports will have to be adaptable to what's coming down the tracks for them and I think the situation judging by what we're seeing the situation will be very fluid and situations will change and it's it's a very interesting challenge for these organizations and that would be from the amateur level to the professional level say at Connacht and then the IRFU and then they go into the world sphere so uh that's going to be fascinating to watch, and we we might see things that we didn't think were possible happening. Interesting. Right before we go, uh, look after yourselves, lads. We're going to hear from Andy Friend now. You put in a, a big effort to get this together. Good stuff in the background there, Alan, on the technical side of things because it sounds great. And uh, and yeah, it's just great to get that time with him, wasn't it? I was, and he's he's so inspiring. And one of the things I get him to do, you actually won't hear in the podcast, but I will I will tweet it out. One of my favourite podcasts is is um, Wittertainment with Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode. It's a film review on BBC and they have a, a saying in there, um, you know, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. And they get Tom Hanks to say it because he's, you know, when Tom Hanks says it, then you really feel good about it. So I asked Andy if he'd say it. And I have to say, 
he does it really well and I think Connacht fans will appreciate that uh, you know things will be alright in the end Brilliant here he is handy friend lads we'll talk soon Absolutely look after yourself stay safe Andy Friend, you're very welcome to the Craggy Rugby Podcast. Thanks for having me, William. Andy, we usually sit down in the sports ground and uh, we chat and we have a, have a conversation at the press conference, but we're in a different world now. We're on Skype. We're both staying at home as per the regulations. Um, first of all, how are you doing and all your family? Yeah, it's a very different world, isn't it? Uh, this we're all doing fine, thank you. Um, my wife, Kerry, and I are here in Galway. Our two sons are back in Australia, um, as are my, my parents, Kerry's parents, uh, and our extended family. So it's a little bit tricky trying to uh, to keep everyone or keep in touch with everybody. And, and it's probably been a bit frustrating, I've got to say, just watching from afar how slow Australia's been to respond to this. But uh, we've been keeping them up to date with what our Taoiseach's been saying here and the way Ireland are dealing with things. And... I think our family, certainly the friend family, are probably more ahead of the curve than uh, other people back in Australia. It's a very odd situation for everybody. Um, In all the scenarios that you've gone through in rugby, have you ever come across a situation where the season just, or, or, or did you even think of a situation where the season would just stop dead? No, I, I, I've never experienced it. I don't think any of us have experienced that. And I think what you're seeing around the world at the moment with just the way you know, sport has basically collapsed, um, no one ever envisaged this. Uh, I did see something where Bill Gates back in 2015 did a TED Talk on it, so he probably had the vision to see it, but maybe nobody listened to him at the time. Um, but certainly unprecedented times, as, as we keep hearing, and, and it is, and uh we will come out at the end of it, at the end of it, um, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Just give me an idea. How did, did Connacht react to this? When when, when did you, I suppose you be, we all became aware a number of weeks ago that this was probably approaching us, but when the actual decision was made in Connacht, what did you have to do to, to keep that organisation together, but obviously to get people out of the, the working environment? Well, yeah, it, it all happened very, very quickly. Uh, and it was Friday um, tomorrow, three weeks ago, um, where it was the twentieth of, uh, I think it was the twentieth of March from memory, uh, around that period. Anyway, we we got a call from the RFU saying that, um, given the information from the World Health Organization, all forms of contact training needed to stop. Um, we had lengthy teleconference calls with the RFU and the other provincial coaches. Uh, we were all we all expressed our concerns around what the news we were hearing. And the decision was made reasonably quickly that uh, in the best interest of, all, of everybody, of the staff and, and uh, everybody involved in rugby around Ireland, that, that things cease until we got more information. So um, I actually I applaud the RFU for the management of that. It happened reasonably swiftly. Um, so that next week, there was a lot of conversations going on around, you know, what does the form of the season now look like? How are we going to deal with this? Um, it did take a lot of teleconferencing and, and phone hookups and Zoom calls and all the rest of it, which is all news, new to, to most of us. Um, but that became very quickly the new way of doing things. And at the end of that next week, uh, the week that we should have been playing the Scarlets, uh, there was a, a pretty good plan in place about how we were going to proceed over the, the next eight weeks. Um, 
So from a Connick point of view, uh, we, we moved into gear pretty pretty quickly. Um, I think one of the good things that we've attempted to do as, a, as an organisation, um, and I think Connick's always done as an organisation, they're quite proactive with things and, and there's you know, a lot of people have got autonomy and people can move pretty quickly. And I think we've seen that with our staff and our players. There's been a lot of positivity around how quickly we've adapted to things and we got up and running pretty quickly after we got the news as to what the next eight weeks was going to look like. So, 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 what, what are the, what are the, what are the players? I, I suppose they're the coaches, the players. You've obviously got a lot of background staff as well. But how, how have the players set up? Because they're used to having very much a routine. They, they, they train. They do indoor training, obviously in the gym. Then they're on out doing their, uh, their sessions. They've got fitness sessions, and they're, they're big fit young men who are used to running around on rugby fields, and now. They're cooped up in houses and stuff. So what 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 are what are they doing? How are, how are you managing that? Well, the first thing we did was um, well, we actually set about and saying, well, listen, when all this when all this finishes, what do we want to look like? How do we want to come out of this? And I think, yeah, you know, having a purpose around that is really really important. So the first thing we said, everyone, uh, just just pause what we currently see as our our, our current existence, um, because it's no longer our current existence. Our current existence is about to cease. So. When you then accept that, that what you're used to doing is no longer going to become your norm, then take a, a probably a more broader approach back and say, well, how do we want to come out of this? And, and there were three things that we identified really quickly. First thing is we're all in very different situations. So we've all got very different family situations. Some have, have partners, some have partners and kids, some live with elderly parents, some live in group houses, some live in different parts of the world, their home is in different parts of the world. So the first thing we said was make sure you do everything in your power to be comfortable and be where you are most safe and your family is most safe. And however that looks, make sure you zone in on that. So that was the first thing we said to all staff and to all players. Second thing we said is let's use this period to develop ourselves. So there's there's ample time now to do some of the things that you said you never could do. So whether that was a rehab session or a prehab session or studying an opposition or doing some study or doing some CPD, spend this time and give yourself the opportunity to do that. And the third thing was let's stay connected. So I think one of the beauties of a rugby program and any sport team is the, the connectivity with that where, uh, you know, we are all individuals, but at the same time we're all one. We're, we're one team and, and whether you're a staff or whether you're a player, um, we have this connection which we we wanted to make sure we didn't lose. So there's been a lot of um, a lot of phone calls and texting and teleconferencing and and you know different forms of connection have been happening over the course of, of, of the last period. In terms of the the players training, um, one of the things that happened really swiftly and and really efficiently was uh, f- came from our athletic performance group, Dave Howard. Dave Howarth, um, uh, Johnny O'Connor and Barry O'Brien really quickly went around to all the players and said, who needs gym equipment? Um, messages came back in to say, I've got this, but I need this and I need that. And then they they divvied up the uh, the Connet gym equipment. Um, that was on the Thursday uh, two weeks ago. Um, Martin Joyce drove up from Limerick. Uh, we had a, a pretty strict um, policy around who could be touching the gear, who couldn't be touching the gear. And then a list was made of what players needed what gear. And that gear was then driven by Martin Joyce out to Joycey out to the respective players' houses and dropped off. So virtually overnight, uh, all of our players had home gyms set up. 
where we then sent out programs and the players could then be working uh, in their own homes on those programs. So that, that's been one of the things that was initiated really quickly and really early. And so the boys, you know, whilst their norm has been up, upset a little bit, um, they are still able to train uh, and, and they, they are following programs and keeping as fit as they can be. That's uh, that. That's the physical side of this. I suppose there's a mental side of it as well, and that applies to everybody. That's anybody listening to this broadcast. Everybody has to keep focused on whatever gets them through this. But have you made any specifics on that side? Well, that's the part of the connection. So, yeah, I think one of the things that we're we're all used to in what we'll call normal society prior to this period was was just that daily connection with people. You know, we. Um, it's, it's probably well recorded that at Connacht every morning, uh, you know, we have a, an hour check-in period and in that check-in period um, there's a lot of handshakes going on and just checking in with the people and how did you go last night and did you think about the conversation we had yesterday and whatever whatever that is. But you're checking in with people the whole time and it's very, very personable. And as soon as you take that away, that has an adverse effect or can have an adverse effect on someone's well-being. Um, so what we're attempting to do in this new this new environment of social distancing is, is still keeping that connectivity, obviously without the handshake and without the, the, the social interaction or the personal interaction there or the physical interaction, I should say, but still doing that over the various forms of, of, of teleconferencing, Skype, texting, whatever. Our leadership group have been great with that. So we have eight leaders um, really quickly. Uh, they separated the group into the group of players, that is, into uh, into eight, uh, eight groups. So each leader had had five or six players to be to be looking after um, each week those leaders get in touch with those players and, and just check in um, as do I with all the players and the staff um, as do other staff members uh, and we are also now setting up um, some professional development stuff or some CPD stuff around things like coping mechanisms around for, you know, simple things like how to how to schedule your week because as you said at the front end of this William we we traditionally, in a rugby program, we give them everything. So they turn up on a Monday morning and there's a schedule there that says you're going to go to this, into this, into this, into this, into this, and then they go home. And the next day they come back and we're going to do this, 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 and this. And, you know, you very quickly you can forget that uh, we probably haven't on a lot of occasions given them the space to, uh, to, 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 to find their own area and, and to, and to you know, structure their own day and their own week. So is that a bit of a challenge? And I suppose because, you know, um, there is a concern maybe that younger people haven't taken this on board as much as people of my generation. And I suppose they're very, very fit uh, people. So it, it's, it's, it's they've had to change their mindset on this a lot. And maybe they've had to, some of them might have had to grow up very a little bit quicker than, than they might have been. Yeah, listen. I think some of the um, some of the early messaging that came out was that this was only going to affect the elderly. Anyone over the age of sixty five, beware. Anybody else, you're probably going to be okay. And, and I think that messaging gave the younger generation an opportunity to say, "Well, it's not really affecting me." But straight away, what we saw was probably the selfish nature of human beings. You know, if it's not going to affect us, well, I'm not really going to worry about it because it's not really me that is going to get affected with this or infected with this. So. Um, I, I think what was then more powerful was when you started to see some some younger people actually who'd contracted uh, the, the COVID nineteen virus and and you know were either 
severely suffering or losing their lives, sadly. Um, and all of a sudden, people started to wake up to that. And I think the other thing that people started to wake up to was you may not be affected, but you can certainly affect a lot of people if you choose to be selfish with this. And and I think you know the the, the humane part of most people then looks at it and says, "She's I have a responsibility here, and I need to I need to do something for the rest of the community here to be smart." And I think one of the best things I heard was, "Act as though you have already contracted the disease, and therefore you'll you'll protect others by the mere fact that you're trying to not spread that disease." And I think you know if people follow that messaging, um, we're going to be pretty safe as a group. We're only possibly into the into the start of this, Andy. But have you given any thought to to where going forward rugby might be, and when we are likely to possibly see some live rugby again? There's live sport has ceased everywhere in in all forms. It would seem. Yeah, it has, and uh, I, I can only share with you what um, you know the conversations we've had with the IRFU, which which is now obviously out there in the public, where we've been told. Um, we'll be in this current situation away from, from our respective workplaces until uh, Monday the 18th of May at the very earliest. As that date draws nearer, um, then we'll have a better uh, indication as to whether we are going to get back to work on the 18th of May. Um, we're, everyone's keen to be playing rugby and, and keen to be back out there, but what we've also got to be very conscious of is you know, that'll be nine weeks since we last trained if we get through to the 18th of May. And in that time, whilst we'll have players doing uh, contact, or sorry, conditioning work at home and, and they may be doing their weights at home and as, as best they can be doing their running, the one thing they haven't been able to do, most of them, is contact. And the one thing that actually separates rugby from most other sports is the level of contact. And you have to condition the body in a certain way to allow your body to accept the levels of contact these young men take. So we've been on conference calls again this morning and, and throughout the course of the week as to how that, that period is going to look when we come back. IRFU have said to us they'd like us to have a six-week period to rebuild the bodies of these young men and then potentially, if we can, look, look to try and finish a season in July and August. Whether that will happen um, is anybody's guess at this point in time, but that's the current plan. Uh, we'd love to get back out there, but we also need to be conscious of of, uh, of of not putting the players out there too early as well. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And I suppose that's it, it does give you something to aim towards and it keeps the motivation level that th- there is an end coming to this. But obviously, we're still learning more about this uh, this virus and its, and its effects as we take step by step. Yeah, correct. We are. We are. Uh, good mate of yours, uh, Eddie Jones, has just uh, signed up to stay with England until after the 2023 World Cup. That that was probably always going to happen, wasn't it, Andy? I, it, well, I read that this morning, William. Um, I, I, I know talking to Eddie prior to the World Cup, he didn't know where his future lay, and he didn't know he didn't know whether that was uh, what he wanted to do or where, where he was going to be. But um, I, I, I certainly think post the World Cup and how successful they were there. Um, they didn't win it, but you know, got pretty close. And, and how well they've done with the Six Nations, uh, you know, would make good sense. I think he's he's got the boys on track, and I think he's doing a great job. And it would make sense to take him through to 2023. So uh, I was really pleased when I read that. Well, he certainly he'll keep, he'll keep the media interested. Anyway, he's never he's never short of an opinion or two. No, you 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 know what he's thinking. That's for sure. 
Yeah, no comment is not in his vocabulary. <laughs> Just look, look in. I mean, news out. Uh, rugby in America has filed for a ch- chapter eleven. I think it's called bankruptcy issue, which is maybe not a surprise. But up here, a lot of attention on very difficult times in Australian rugby. Uh, financially, they seem to have gone into a lockdown to try to get through this. Um, but yet they're, you know, they're a successful team at international level, but the the structure does seem rather, uh, it's struggling a bit. Maybe you could give us an insight into that because I think it, it catches people out. They just assume that all of the Southern Hemisphere is just floating along quite happily. Yeah, Australian rugby or Rugby Australia is far from being floating along quite happily for some time now. And I think, um, you know, sadly what we're seeing there at the moment with the 75% staff cuts and, and, and player um, wages reductions as well as staff reductions, uh, um, it's just an indication as to how how much the game is in trouble back there. Uh, you know, I, I remember clearly when I was uh, first coming through as a, as a young coach, um, rugby was the flavour of the month. You know, everyone wanted to be involved with rugby. But I think on reflection, you can look back at it and say, uh, what they didn't protect was the grassroots. All the money seemed to go into the pro game, and and you know we built the built the pyramid from the top down, and that doesn't work. So um, you need to have the foundation, which I do applaud the RFU and the way the grassroots uh, game is is funded here and, and supported here. That hasn't happened in Australia, and at the same time in Australia, we've also had this massive vehicle of AFL. Um, more so than rugby league, but this massive vehicle of AFL has, has, has basically swamped the sporting landscape and taken up all the young athletes that potentially used to come across and play rugby. So, uh, yeah, Australia, far from being in a, in a rosy position up until this crisis, and now we've got the COVID crisis, uh, you know, it, it would not surprise me if, if we see more reductions in, in what actually, you know, what, what we used to know as, as Rugby Australia. And do you think this is a situation where world rugby is going to have to maybe look to find some financial structures for unions that are in trouble, that there's going to have to be a, a more even spread of the money uh, simply to keep the, the game at the top level running? I, I understand what you're saying about grassroots, but I suppose their focus would be on they need the top international teams to be to be thriving. Yeah, and they will. You know, I'm sure Australia, Australian rugby, or you know, the Wallabies won't be lost to the international landscape. That just can't happen. Um, it, it may be a, a quieter beast for a few years yet, but I was only talking to someone about it today back home in Australia, and it's not too dissimilar to the bushfire. You know, the bushfires go through, and there's massive devastation, and and, and basically a whole landscape is wiped out. But about a month later, and a month in in a in a sporting context. Um, make that a year. Um, so ten months later, ten ten years later, you know things are, are, are flowering and things are blooming, and and the bush bounces back, and and that's what I reckon is going to happen with Australian rugby. I know the last couple of CEOs Australian rugby have had, they've worked really hard to change the constitution of rugby, the way it was set up back when it was all established, and they weren't able to do it. Um, so this could be a great opportunity now to say, right, I scrapped the whole thing, let's start again, and let's start again where. There is a centralised model because I think what we're seeing, if you know, if they're smart enough to look at again the RFU model, there's a lot of people can throw criticism at having a centralised model. But here we are in this crisis situation, and one of the first things the RFU said was, 
We want to make sure nobody loses their jobs and we want to make sure that we get through this collectively. And they've been able to do that because they hold the, they hold the, the strings from, from the centralized viewpoint, which is, which is really, really powerful. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm always a try and see the bright side of things. And I think coming out of this Australian situation, there's going to be some pain. There already is some pain. Um, there has been some pain, but this is probably the, the lowest it's ever going to get. And then out of that, it can be with the right people in place, it can be rebuilt and become something really, really strong and powerful again. And just looking at the, the Connick situation, I, I want to talk to you about something you were talking about earlier in the season. And this is on a playing front, and I, it's just something that, is, that has come up. Um, you were talking about metres per carry, that you wanted to get metres per carry up per player, per carry, so that you would get into a situation where you would be operating in the top three teams in that. Can you explain to me, and explain to us, because I have been asked about it, why this is something that you're looking at, and is the stats that we're seeing now and the game plans, is that becoming more and more refined as time passes? I think the game plans of rugby union um, they change every year because it's dependent upon what what new laws we're playing under and you know as you'll probably get to in a minute you know the, the laws again are more likely to change so every year we've got this moving beast that uh, tries to stay ahead of the game and tries to deliver a product which is what the essence of rugby is all about. William Webb Ellis didn't pick up the ball and start running with it because he didn't want to go anywhere. He was getting frustrated with not getting there quick enough, so he picked the thing up and he took off. And and that, to me, is the essence of rugby. Give him space and let him run, let him move. But at the moment, it is, it, you know, we, we've got this wall in front of us that becomes very, very difficult to penetrate. So whilst it's very, very difficult to penetrate, any additional metres we can get to try and get through that wall gives us an advantage to try and get the defence on the back foot and allow us to go again and again and again and again and we try and get through. But why at the moment do we have so many teams kicking? Because that wall becomes unpenetrable and you just can't get through the thing. So the current game structure and stats that we're looking at are very pertinent to how the game's currently being played and refereed and what laws we're currently playing under. We, we more than often find ourselves up against 13 or even sometimes 14 defenders in a front line there. We've got a ball carrier on the ground, two blokes protecting that ball carrier, a nine at the base. So just do the numbers there. We've got 11 other players on their feet up against 13 or 14 other players. Well, defence is going to win. So the more we can make miniature metres with every carry and be more dominant through that carry zone, the better chance we have of then getting them on the defence that is on the back foot and being able to play out of that. That's why we've been zoning in on having that metres per carry and making sure that we uh, we optimise that per player. And, and is that a combination? I suppose it's a, is it a physical thing, a skills thing? Maybe it's a mental thing as well that a player is switched on to do this. But do, do you have to, is this something that you're training players to do? Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. So from a mental point of view, um, for example, you know, if I said to you run to that line, you would run to that line. Most people would run to the line and maybe even pull up half a metre in front of that line because we're conditioned to get to the line. So, But if I said to you run through that line and finish two metres beyond that line, you'll move to that line at a much different, different pace. 
Does that make sense? So that, that's the mental side. So when we're saying you carry the football, don't look at that defensive line that's in front of you. You look two metres beyond it. I want you to get to that spot. So there's a mental there's a mental approach there where you now have to physically put yourself beyond the, the contact where you're, you're about to take and try and get to that next zone. So that, that would be the mental side of it. And, and that listen, that requires toughness and it requires a belief that you can do it and, and it requires an uncomfortable part of the body that says, I'm going to put my body in harm's way here. So there's definitely a mental part of that. The second part of that, there is 100% a skill part of that. So there is a skill to be able to use your feet prior to getting into that contact zone where you're not running into a body. So we always say in rugby, attack shoulders, attack space, not so attack space is not faces. So if, if there's a defender in front of you, from a defensive point of view, we say get your body in front. So if we're now a ball carrier, we don't want that defender to have his body in front. But if we run straight at him, his body's already in front. We're giving him an easy part of his job. So we get our players to use their feet to attack either left or right, wherever the space is, to give that, make that, that job of the defender so much harder. So there's definitely a, a, a skill aspect to that. And then there's also a power aspect to that. So the more powerful and dynamic we can be when we carry the football, um, the better chance and in contact, the more fight we have when we hit that that contact space, uh, the better chance we have of getting to that end point, which may be two metres beyond where that tackle line is. I'm interested then, if you're looking at player stats, are there some players who are very high up on the stats level, but there are some players who may be not as quite as, as high on the stats level for that, but maybe they have a better gut instinct for the game and they might make a better decision. Is it, is it a marrying of the two things that you have to do? Yeah, 100% it is. So listen, that's one of the many stats that we will look at and, and you can never take a stat in isolation. So it, it tells a bit of a story. That's all. It tells a piece of a story, but there are so many other pieces to that story that you need to add in, in terms of whether you, you know, for you to, for us to make a decision as to whether we're going to recruit a player or retain a player, or let a player go, or select a player, or not select a player. Um, yeah, so I think we can get caught up on a single stat. Um, that metres per carry is one stat. That that you know, and, and even even looking at that metres per carry on a game by game basis is very very dangerous because there are some games there where you might just get a line break, and now your metres and your, your line break might be twenty metres, and your metres per carry for that game. You might have had eight other involvements or nine other involvements where you've carried a metre and as you've got the ball, you've got hit and you've carried a metre for all of those. So you've got nine metres there plus this 20 metre gain, 29 metres divided by 10. You've now got 2.9 metres per carry. Wow, that's incredible. Well, not really. He had one good line break. But over the course of a season, that will balance itself out and you'll start to see what what the true um, score for each player is on that metre per carry and how effective they are in that contact zone. That's just in the attack part. But then, as I said, there's other elements around their game control, around their defence, around their set-piece capabilities and so on and so forth, that we all add that into the pot before we make our decisions on on retention or recruitment of players. And on the defensive side of it, is it defending to the system or making the right, sometimes maybe making a decision on almost on the spur of the moment and and hopefully making the right decision, I'm going to stop this player here i'm not going to i'm going to break the system a little bit or do do you have to do you want players to stick to a rigid defensive system no i think listen every system we have in life 
um, it, it, it's not rigid or can't be rigid. It's always broken. You know, we have speed limits, but I can guarantee you most people will go over that speed limit every now and then because they have to or they want to. Do they get caught? Not all the time. Does it end up in disaster? Not all the time, but we do that. That's what we do as humans. We have these underlying rules that we attempt to live by, but we constantly break those too to, to best suit what's, what's happening at that particular point in time. So we have a system, we have a defensive structure and a defensive system, which um, the players are, are very well versed on. And at, But at the same time, um, we have to be flexible and adaptable to that and we have to make decisions based upon what's currently happening. And, um, you know, so I know Pete Wilkins, our defensive coach, is, is very clear with the players. Our defensive system will cope for most things, but on the odd occasion, someone has to do something outside of that system and we definitely allow the players to make that decision and hopefully it's the right decision so is are you so if are you looking for adaptable do you need a mixture of adaptable players and players that are maybe more suited to having a rigid structure is is that part of the whole process of marrying 15 players on the field at one time getting them all into into that scenario yeah, I actually think the structure gives you the gives you the capacity to be flexible, if that makes sense to you. So if we just said go out there and play, we'd have 15 different blokes doing 15 different things, whether it be an attack or defence, because you know we, we, we just have a lot of variety there. But we have defensive and, and attacking systems and structures that we say, here's how we want to here's how we want to set up or here's how we would like it to look. So don't have to worry about that. Just fall into those positions and those shapes. And now see what's around you. Yeah, we had, we had um, I reckon the best example of this, we had Ruby Walsh come in and, and talk to us as a group last, last season. And one of the things Ruby said, he said, as a, as a young jockey, he, he knew that he had to be ambidextrous. He had to be able to do everything he could with his left hand, as he could with his right hand. And he, and he just had to be so, become so comfortable in that saddle that everything he did in that saddle was just automatic. And now that he knew everything that he was doing in the saddle was automatic, he could now zone in on the race and he could make his moves when he when he got the, the feel and the smell of the race is now's the time to go. And it's very similar in rugby. So we we make our systems as automatic as possible, fall into this shape here, defend in this in this manner here, position yourself here, so that we that becomes automatic for the player. And now they can then maneuver within that depending upon what the opposition are throwing at them, whether it's in attack or defence. And then, as you've already alluded to, we're looking, I don't know when these are going to happen, but there are some very interesting potential rule changes coming. A lot of this is stats-based, but I'll I'll read a few bits of this out because it is interesting what they've been doing. They've been doing trials in the fourth level of uh, rugby in France and in the second level of rugby in Australia. And there's there's a couple of things, One one of which they've looked at before, 50% 50% of all injuries in rugby come in the tackle area. 76% of those injuries are concussion. And 72% of the people who get concussion are the tackler. So they're, they're looking at the tackle. They're basically talking about bringing the tackle height down to a waist level tackle. Um, tackling lower, I suppose, would be, would be the, the broad description of it. Now, in these trials, the ball carrier was not allowed to dip into the tackle, which I think maybe knocks it out a little bit. But they're basically saying the the number of injuries has dropped, but it's also changed the way that the game is being played. There's more offloads. Um, there's a little bit less kicking, but we'll come to one of the kicking changes in a minute. 
how how are you reading that, Andy? I mean, you're looking at the game from a coach's perspective. What what are you seeing from what so far? It's not a huge study, but it is starting to to look as if this is the way we're going. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, um, we have to, and I think we are. Um, we are. We do have at the forefront of our minds player safety. So you know, the, we we need to. We we do play a contact sport, and it's it's not. It's not without risk, without a doubt, but we need to minimise that risk as best we can. And as you alluded to there, you know, one of our biggest uh, injury concerns at the moment is exactly that, it's concussion. And, and with the new concussion laws that we have correctly, if a player gets concussed, there's a, a rigorous protocol they need to go through before they can get back out there on the field of play. Um, and, and that has severely affected uh, availability of players throughout the course of the season, not just at Connor, but, but around the globe. So whatever we can do to protect the players um, getting these concussions would be a, would be a smart thing for the game. I think the second thing there is to go back to what I said earlier about you know w- what is the essence of rugby. And to me, the essence of rugby, and we may everyone may differ on this, but it's 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 to allow the team with the football to give them time and space to attack. And what we see at the moment in the current game is not a lot of space and actually not a lot of time. So we're getting this kickathon because it becomes too hard to break that defensive line. So you start to kick the ball back. There was a game last year. Um, it was a couple of Welsh teams, but there was uh, there was over eighty three kicks in a game of rugby. And that's not a game of rugby. That's AFL for me. So if you want to go and play AFL, go and play it. But um, basically, you don't want the footy because it's too hard to get through. So I think. Uh, yeah, the underlying message of all of these things, it has to be player safety, but I think also we have to get back to what the game of rugby is all about, which is moving the football. And hopefully if you're if you're the, the team with the footy, you're king. And the opposition, you can try and get it off them, but you've got to make sure you're legal with it and, and, and do your best. And if you can, then you can get the football. So there is a contest. But if you've got the footy, you're king. And, and to that end, if you're talking about the kicking game, the, the, one of these trial laws was if you kick the ball from – inside your own half, but you bounce it into touch old style in the 22 of the opposition, you get the line out. Now, the theory behind that would be that they would have to drop more men out of the defensive line. So instead of having 14 guys in a row and one sweeping fullback, they might have to put the two wingers back. They might even have to drop another player back because it does give you an attacking opportunity. And it strikes me that Jack Carty would be the man to do that sort of kicking with his rather good spiral kick. I think I could see him queuing up to have... I can think of a few out halves who might be terrified of having to try that, but I don't think he would. But that is the theory, and they've said it has led to some tries. This is at a lower level of rugby. They're figuring that at the higher levels, you know, a really good line-out would... Say you had a really strong line-out, you would say to the out half get that ball into their 22, bounce it into touch, we'll take the line out. It's an attacking option for us. Can you see that freeing up a bit of space in the middle? Yeah, I can. I can. You know, If you now need to keep two, possibly three players back, then there's going to be more space in the middle of the park uh, for you to be able to attack through. I think one of the other things, you know, actually, that, that's comes, that comes from the old rugby league, the 40-20 rule, which as soon as they implemented that, um, you know, on the last tackle, you started to see teams running the football because it used to traditionally just be one, two, three, four, five kick 
one, two, three, four, five kick. And now if you're not holding players back on the second tackle, they may kick and try and, you know, win that ball back on a 40-20. So I think the rule has been proven in other sports to actually have an effect upon the way the game's played. I think one of the the, the other things, though, is actually just referee the laws that we currently have. And the laws that we currently have say if you've tackled a player, when you hit the deck, you must release that player. We never we never referee that. In the in the game of sevens, that is refereed. And the difference of, of you releasing that tackled player on the floor has a has a massive effect on how quickly that ball can be recycled and the manner in which the attacking team wants to recycle it. So I would say referee that, which is actually in the law book. And the second thing is referee the offside line, which is also in the law book. But that doesn't get refereed much either. So if you had a mixture of actually refereeing what the current law says it should be doing, plus you added some kicking stuff in like that, like a you know a 50-20-22 rule. My only stipulation with that, though, if you get if you get the, the line out into, from a 50-22 rule, you can't maul it now. You've got to play off the top because we don't want to see more. Like we'll see, we'll continue to see more as of course we will. But I think again, the essence of the game is let's play footy. So let's actually get the ball off the top then and play, do something with it and see whether they're good enough to hold you up. Well, the interesting thing then is the, the next law, you've led me in very nicely to that, is the fact that if you are held up over the line, rather than getting an attacking scrum as you do now, the opposition who've held you up will get a drop out from under the posts. Now, realistically, you're going to get the ball back and you're going to become the attacking team again, but you might be starting your attack back at the halfway line. The theory, again, to stop endless mauling, you know, where you you just keep going maul, stopped, maul, stopped, and teams are camped on the line. That That has a potential to change the way teams approach their attack, especially if they're just going and they know they're going to be held up, but they know they're going to get the scrum. Yeah, totally. And listen, I, I think that actually has some real merit, that law, because, um, you know, if, if a team holds you up over the line, good on them. Well done. That's great defence. Uh, they've managed to get underneath you and managed to hold you up there. So, um, yeah, you can have the ball back again because you didn't lose it, but you can have it back wherever they want you to have it back, which is potentially 50 metres down the track. So I'd have no issue with that law. And the final one they've looked at, uh, and I think – there wasn't a lot of this because it's 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 involving TMOs and officials, um, but it's been discussed. If you get a yellow card sometime within that 10-minute zone that you're off the pitch, it can be upgraded to a red card if they look at the incident again and feel that it was a serious issue of, of foul play. Would that, would that be something that you could see working or could that become very, very difficult to, to control? Yeah, listen. I reckon that one that that becomes more difficult. You know, it's and we've had incidences this year, and they're probably well documented where um, live whatever's just occurred didn't actually look like much, but when you slow it down to you know a millimeter every every second or an inch every second, it starts to take a different a, a different you start to take a different view on it because. You know, it starts to look, Jesus, that looks nasty. Where, where the intention, because you've got a collision sport, the intention's never for it to be nasty. The intention of it was just two heads banging together. If I, if I take the Paddy McAllister with with Marcel Kutzier incident there, you know, two big balls running at maximum pace. At no stage did Paddy McAllister want his head to hit Marcel Kutzier's head because there's no future in that, nor did Marcel want his head to hit Paddy's head. But it just happened. And when, when it happened live, no one actually blinked with it. It's only when they stopped it and they went back and they went, oh, that's nasty. Paddy's tried to take him out with his head. No, he hasn't. He's just got himself in a bad position. It's clumsy, 
definitely deserved a yellow card because it was clumsy and we need to protect the player. But we, we've got to be careful with how far down the line we go with this. So, um, again, I preface it by saying I'm all for player safety and if there's an obvious one, by all means, upgrade it. But be really careful. Understand that we're playing rugby. We're in a collision sport and accidents will happen and we've got to make sure we're, you know, we're, not, we're, not, uh, uh, we're not getting too trigger happy with those. Andy, just to bring it back finally before I let you go, um, how do you feel we are? Where, as you're looking at it from 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 where you're sitting, we're obviously in this completely new environment, the new normal. Do you think this is going to change maybe the way people look at sport when it comes back? Will it come back differently? Uh, I'm seeing some suggestions that everything will just go back to normal eventually and, and nothing will have changed. But you're looking at it from the inside looking out uh, in a professional sports capacity. What what do you feel we might see? Do, do, you, do you sense, do you get an appreciation that maybe the contract that exists between fans and clubs and players and clubs, that there might be some changes here that this, as with the Australian Rugby Union, is an opportunity maybe to change the narrative a little bit. Yeah, I do. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like, William, but you know, I certainly look at this period that we're currently going through and just saying what a brilliant opportunity to reset, to reset and, and have, a, have a look and actually have some reflection time. And we only... We talked about that as a staff this morning on, on, a, on a video conferencing call. Um, our lives, our currency in rugby, in professional sport is be busy. And we are so busy being busy. But we don't necessarily give ourselves time to stop and to think and to reflect. And in life normal, we are busy. And we get a chance to race off to a footy game and go and watch that. Yet now that we're missing that, we don't have it there. I think when we come back, A, as a, as a staff and, as a, and as, a, as a pro rugby program, I think, we're going to be far more proactive in in giving ourselves time to be better and make sure our currency is not being busy, but our currency is being effective and, and having impact. And I think as a as a as a population watching it, you'll probably appreciate a little bit more the opportunity you get to go and watch that, as long as the yeah the, the game's still being played well and maybe these laws will assist it in being well. So I think it's a it's a great opportunity for all of us just to stop and reflect and look at how we've been living and how we've been doing things. And, and to take this time now to to come back and be better. And I honestly think we will be better if, if, if we're actually truly honest with, um, with where we've been and, and where we currently see ourselves. I think the relationships between ourselves as, as pro staff and, and as players, uh, our, our relationships between a pro footy team and the community, our relationships within the community, you're already seeing it. Like my wife and I go for a walk every morning and um, – you know, people actually, as, as, as the longer this virus, uh, this lockdown goes on and these restrictions go on, the more friendly people seem to be. That's what I'm seeing. And people, you know, they'll see you come in from 50 metres away and, and they'll step two metres off to the side and they'll say good morning as you walk past. Whereas previously, people just walk past, you've got their head down and they're busy. You know, they're, they're in a hurry to be busy. And so we probably didn't take the time to, to stop and identify what was going on around us. So... It's a long-winded answer to your question, William, but I do see it um, changing. I do see, and I think for the good, I do see um, if, if people take this time and use it correctly, uh, we'll be better versions of ourselves when we come out of this. Loose, cut it loose. Break out or nothing changes. Silence.